thank you once again for another tip. Happy New Year. Last day I can say it for this year, 2023, right? Uh, I can say it another time, but it doesn't make any sense if I did. <laughs> New Year's are often uh, a wonderful time because it's an opportunity for fresh beginnings, fresh starts. And uh, this weekend, or this particular time, is quite poignant for me because on Thursday, the 1st of February, was the seventh anniversary of my time as your pastor here in Church of the Good Shepherd. You know, it's flown by very, very quickly. And I must say, it's been truly a joy to be your pastor and to pastor you. But if I can be honest, not always. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting that we are doing this mini sermon series in the book of First Corinthians. Uh, I elected to do that some time ahead. And uh, to be honest with you, it's not because of my seventh year here that I decided to do that. I mean, if you look at the passages that were read this morning, I could have preached from any of them in the lectionary. They're all power-packed and full of uh, uh, truth and insight and, and God's uh, gospel for us. But, you know, I think this particular letter is poignant because uh, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. And it's a church uh, that's a very interesting church. Now, I'm not saying Good Shepherd's that church, okay? Uh, but I'm saying, you know, it's true of um, much of the reality of church life. Paul, if you read the letter to the Corinthians in um, 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 chapter 1, verses 4 onwards, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech, and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was uh, confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful commendation. Paul talking about this Corinthian church, you know, that they are rich in, in Jesus Christ, that there's a richness in their speech, in their knowledge, in their understanding. And the fact of the matter is, this was a very gifted church a very uh, a spiritually um, a vibrant church, a church in which the gifts of the Spirit operated you know, uh, uh, liberally and freely, which is why he had to deal with these issues. And you know, this started well, but as you know from la uh, two weeks ago, uh, is it two, three weeks ago when Evangeline, Pastor Evangeline preached, it was a church with problems. She started talking about the divisions, and we're still in that section of the uh, um, letter where talking about the divisions in the church and uh, the problems with the people. And, um, you know, you go on and you read it, you'll see even more, and it's kind of, uh, uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but it's kind of depressing because he points out, you know, what a lot of pastors say, oh, I love the church. But sometimes it's the people I have problems with, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not saying that about Good Shepherd. You know, I'm just kidding, right? No, not really. Anyway, um, the point of this passage that we are looking at today is that Paul understood, you know, this truth, this truism, that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? This is, uh, of course, something that became popularized by Steve Covey, but Paul knew it long before Steve Covey. <laughs> And we see it especially here in uh, verse 2 of the uh, passage in view. For I decided to know nothing among you 
except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Or in the message uh, translation by Eugene Peterson, he loved, I love the message oftentimes because he puts it in very uh, uh, colloquial language, very accessible language. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who He is, then Jesus and what He did, Jesus crucified. And, you know, that's why I've entitled my sermon, Keep it, Keeping It Simple. You all know the principle of KISS, right? Keep it simple, and then, <laughs> you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. And in essence, really, if you look at the whole letter, it uh, hinges on this verse which Shonal covered last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That the message of the cross is the heart of what we are. It's the main thing that we need to be looking at. So let's dive into this passage quickly. And I I can't go into great detail. Yesterday I tried to do it and I realized I extended the sermon beyond our normal sermon time. So I'll try and get to the point and keep the main thing the main thing. Not digress too much. Paul says to the Corinthians, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Chanel, uh, um, I think, did a good job yesterday, uh, last week of talking about the fact that it's the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and He appeared before all the disciples. That's what Paul points out as the heart of the gospel, the root of the gospel. And that was what Paul wanted to keep his eyes fixed on. Why is that? He carries on in uh, verse 3. He says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You know, this was Paul being very honest with the church. It's not a false modesty. You know what false modesty is, right? I was talking to the students yesterday. You know, sometimes you come back, wow, your grades an A. Wow, so clever. I say, no lah, no lah. Not clever lah. I just guess right now. I guess right now. You know, you have put on a false modesty. Paul was not being modest about his weaknesses. He talks about it time and time again. We sometimes have difficulty accepting it because we see him as such a great man of God. Such a stalwart who had done such great things for God. But Paul, time and time again, was very aware of his weaknesses. And you know it because if you read in its context, especially if you read the story in Acts 18 of his time in Corinth, you will understand why he said what he said. Paul had arrived in Corinth after ministry in Athens, which for all intents and purposes, if you were to uh, look at it, wasn't wasn't quite as successful as the ministry in all the other parts of uh, uh, Asia and uh, even Europe that he had gone to prior in his missionary journeys. That yes, there were some converts, but largely he was rejected. And I can imagine as he got there, he was maybe a little bit depressed. I'll get to this verse in a (laughs) due course. But in the early part of chapter 18 of Acts, you read that he goes back into tent-making. He hooked up with uh, Priscilla and Aquila because they were tent-makers in Corinth. And the reason he had to do that, obviously, is because he was running out of funds. (laughs) So here he was on his missionary journey. He had raised support. He had gone. And he realized he couldn't make it. And he needed to work. 
And it, there's an interesting uh, line which talks about how Silas and Timothy came and then suddenly he could give himself a full time. So someone else had brought <laughs> contributions to help him uh, move on. And if anyone who's living by faith in ministry, you know, uh, you will know, because I know we have some members of our congregation who've gone through that themselves, it's, it's quite a, a challenging thing. You know, we want to say we want to have faith in God to provide, but not always is our faith strong enough. And I believe, you know, we see that Paul was struggling even here because as he was preaching in the synagogues, um, the passage tells us that they opposed Paul and they became abusive. And like, you know, the opposition was starting to rise up and so he had to abandon his uh, strategy of speaking in the synagogues and ended up in the home of a Gentile. And we know that Paul was probably very discouraged and ready to give up because God had to speak to him. This is where I pick it up in verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. That Paul needed to carry on, God needed to give him a word, but it is in the uh, understanding of the core message that he was preaching that he had the ability and the strength to carry on. He goes on then in verses 4 and 5 to say, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God." He points out that it was neither his person, you know, he was not really an impressive specimen of a pastor or a preacher. <laughs> you read 2 Corinthians, you'll see that, you know, the accusations, and he repeats the accusations, oh, this man is very powerful in his letter, but when you listen to him, you know, <laughs> he's nothing to uh, look at. Highly unimpressive. I mean, some people think he, Paul was a great preacher. Actually, he wasn't. You read in Acts you know, there's a story of him preaching and he preached until one of his uh, congregation members fell asleep, fell out the window and died. <laughs> then he had to raise him from the dead. You know, that, that, that's not the sign of a very successful preacher, right? But uh, nonetheless, you know, he says, it's not about me. It's not even about my eloquence or my ability to present well. But it is the power of God and the Holy Spirit that speaks. Now, I believe he does refer to power encounters and I, I entirely believe in the gifts of the Spirit and, and, and you know, the operation of, in the power of the Spirit to see signs and wonders as being an important part of Christian ministry. But may I suggest to you that that is not the most important part of the power of God or even the most impressive miracle that we uh, can witness in our lifetime. I mean, you think about it, Everyone who is raised from the dead on this side of eternity still dies. Right? As impressive as Lazarus being raised from the dead was, where's Lazarus today? <laughs> He's still in the grave. Right? He's dead. But what I think Paul points to and really uh, is um, uh, uh, encouraged by is the power of the changed life. The power of lives that have been transformed by the uh, um, message of the gospel. You and I have encountered 
the gospel in many ways. Some of you have amazing testimonies, you know, of how you were brought out of darkness into His marvelous light. How you've gone from, you know, uh, a pack a day cigarette smoker to ceasing overnight after receiving Christ. I, I know someone like that, you know, and, and all kinds of other stories in between. And I'm grateful for the ministry of Salt and Light. You know, they have wonderful testimonies in there. I hope you subscribe to their uh, feed because it's, it's, it's such an encouragement to read that. But what is Paul saying here? He says, you know, it's not about words of wisdom or, or plausibility, not about the wisdom of man, but the power of God. Is Paul trying to be anti-intellectual? Is he saying, you know, check your mind at the door, become a Christian. <laughs> don't, don't, don't question, just believe. By no means, okay? He continues then in verse 6. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He's saying, of course not. I'm not saying, you know, check your mind at the door. That there is wisdom in our faith. That our faith is a reasonable faith. The difference is this. He's saying it's not having faith in our reason. And that's how many people today in our society tend to operate, right? They want to exercise human reason to try and suss things out and try to decide for themselves. And I'm afraid even amongst uh, Christians, why Christians can uh, disagree and differ. I think the past week there's a statement that's been uh, come out of the Church of England. I think some of you may have read about it and how they have decided uh, to go ahead and bless same-sex marriages. But then they continue to hold to the line that Scripture teaches that you know, uh, um, um, same-sex attraction and, and uh, living in a, a same-sex relationship is disordered and is sin. And it's like, you know, the inconsistency is uh, sort of mind-blowing. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, you know, I, we may wonder how did they get there from here, you know. And it's not that they've jettisoned the Bible because they point out that, you know, they believe they've looked at the Bible. But a lot of it comes from the fact that they try and reason their way to understanding and, you know, work around. I've, I've, I've you know, at length read a lot of the arguments and they do a lot of um, scriptural gymnastics, if I may use that. They try and set aside passages of scripture which talk about uh, homosexuality as sin. You know, they say things like, oh, it's only if you live uh, uh, in a promiscuous homosexual lifestyle. It doesn't mean if you are a committed homosexual partnership, which, you know, is nonsense because that's not what the text says. It doesn't make that sort of distinction. But nonetheless, I'm digressing again. Sorry, let's get back to the main thing. <laughs> you know, that Paul is saying our faith is a reasonable faith, that it is a wisdom based on the wisdom of God. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the age of our glory. Why secret and hidden? It's the word translated from the Greek mysterion, mystery. Not that it's secret, secret, that it's kept from people, but it was a truth that needed to be revealed. It's not something that's self-evident. That you cannot build your way up to God and decide who God is. There's an Enlightenment philosopher, Ludwig Feuerbach. His critique of religion in, as the way he saw it was that uh, religion is wish fulfillment. That, you know, uh, 
people and their conceptions of God are basically just projections of their own values writ large. Right? It's like taking who you think a perfect human being would be and then make it larger, you know, uh, uh, increase the size and project it on the wall. That was his critique. And that was a, a, a fair critique because that was the state of religion in, in the Enlightenment period where people were trying to reason their way to God. But the reality is, if it's a God that we can reason, I think Seanal pointed this out last week, you know, is he really a God worth worshipping? Is he the God of the universe or is he a God of our own making, i.e. an idol? In reality, you see, he goes on to say, Paul, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. That ultimately we cannot build our way up to God. God has to come down to us and reveal Himself to us. That what we know about God can only be known because He chooses to let us know that it is the work of God by His Holy Spirit that inspires, that uh, enables understanding for us to comprehend the spiritual things. I'm not going to cover the rest of the passage, you know, but needless to say, you can go ahead and read it towards the end of this chapter. He talks about the contrast of the natural man and the natural man using natural wisdom, right? And, and, and human wisdom to try and suss their way out. And that's not what uh, uh, um, God has called us to. But I want to talk about a moment about this uh, idea and this concept of being a spirit-filled church. Because ultimately for us to really know who God is, is to be filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit of God needs to help us understand Scripture. You can study the Bible as literature till you're blue in the face. And you will never necessarily plumb the depths of its spiritual nuggets of gold. Right? I've known people who are, are, are literature students who have studied the book of Job. And it makes them none the wiser. Right? They can uh, dissect it and, and work out all its uh, literary devices, but it doesn't speak to their spirit. Because we need the Spirit of God to uh, 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 unpack that for us. And mind you, like I pointed out, you know, when Paul was addressing the church, he says, you do not lack any spiritual gift. He was talking about the Corinthian church. Yet the fact that this church was spirit-filled didn't prevent them from falling into sin and into problems. I talked about the divisions that took place, but you read a little bit further on in the letter and you see debauchery taking place, right? Uh, these are the types of things you read in there. I mean, you blush, how, how is this in Scripture? I, I don't know about you, you read sometimes Straits Times, you, the crime pages, you see, oh my, <laughs> This person slept with who? <laughs> and you wonder, how in the world can this take place, right? This kind of uh, uh, um, uh, perversion. But this is not perversion taking place somewhere outside in the world. It's perversion taking place within the church. There was disorder. So much so that Paul had to address, how do you use your gifts? And so they had misused their gifts so badly, he had to stop in the middle and chapter 13, right? And pull them back and say, 
I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how capable you are. If you don't have love, you are nothing. That you need to make the main thing the main thing once again. And one of my deep desires and has been my prayer for a while, not just for Church of the Good Shepherd, but for our nation in Singapore, is for God to really pour out His Spirit afresh again. To see revival visit our land again. Many of you, I look across this room, you were here and part of this congregation when revival hit our shores in the 1970s. Many of you came to Christ uh, through the ministry of this church when revival took place. You know, these pews hold a special uh, memory for me because many of you uh, know my dad was in this position. My late father was the pastor of the English congregation of Church of the Good Shepherd. And I remember many a night, I was a young primary school kid uh, there were nightly meetings in the old sanctuary. And because, you know, we were young children, we couldn't be left alone. My parents would drag us to the meetings. And of course, I'm bored with what's going on. The adults are talking. I don't understand. <laughs> I'd be in one of the back rows in one of these pews, maybe even one of the pews you're sitting on right now. That would be my bed. <laughs> I had learned to fall asleep with all the noise going on in the heart uh, pew. I, I used to joke because my, my, when I was in NS... And we went out for uh, uh, field training. You know, I'd be the first to find, he said, okay, you can sleep. I don't need to, like, uh, make a bed or anything. I just find a piece of ground, lie down, and I'm asleep straight away. You know, people, wow, you can sleep anywhere. I say, yeah, I was well trained by the church, right? <laughs> uh, I digress. How did I get there? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, Lord, we want to see you move afresh again. We want the Holy Spirit to move afresh again. And I believe God wants to visit us with revival again. But I don't believe necessarily that the revival will look anything quite like the last revival. Because, you know, God's original and He's creative. And the way He chooses to work is unique in each and every season, in each and every time. If you read the history of revivals, you'll see that, you know, how the revival pours out. Is, is, there are lots of uh, unique features and traits that take place all throughout church history. But there is one common factor that always happens in a revival. And there is a large-scale turning of the people Godward. That many, many people in the midst of revival come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that's really the heart of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit uh, needs to be poured out on us afresh. We need to understand how he operates. And the best way to understand is what did Jesus teach about the operation of the Spirit? How, what, was his, what is his role as the Holy Spirit? In John chapter 16, Jesus was addressing his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. The next day he would uh, be uh, tried before Herod and then Pilate and eventually be put on a cross and he died. So you know that he was trying to prepare them for what is to come. And in the midst of his uh, encouragement to them, he said to them, you know, I am going away, but I'm going to send to you someone who will help you. That is the Holy Spirit. And he, in chapter 16 of John, verses 12 and 15, he says this, I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. You can imagine, you know, Jesus is trying to download. You ever been in a seminar and they're trying to download a lot of information? After a while, like, oh, please, please, I'm trying to drink water from a fire hose. It's too much. Cannot take it anymore. And Jesus understood our human frailties and limitations. And he said that. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the Father to us, to reveal God's heart to us, to reveal His plan for salvation to us, which is why, you know, the main thing is understanding God's plan for salvation, that Christ came, that Christ died, that Christ rose again, and that He's coming again for each and every one of us. And when we pray for a Spirit-filled life, it's to be His witnesses. Isn't that precisely what Acts 1.8 was? You know, the Great Commission in the book of Acts, you know, uh, for you will... Am I here? Oops, I didn't put it up. <laughs> I thought I did. Ah, there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That the Holy Spirit's role and purpose is to empower us to be His Witnesses, and I want to end with this thought as we think about what is the main thing for us. Today's last day of Chinese New Year. I don't know if any of you have lohe <laughs> uh, planned for later, either lunch or dinner. Uh, some of I, someone, friend of mine, uh, posted 15 days already, 23 lohe. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. That means several meals in a day, all right? Go on the lohe until it's coming out of your ears. But what do you do when you're low, hey? Right? Besides making a big mess of the table, yesterday the youth had a low, hey, upstairs after service. <laughs> they made a big mess. I'm glad they cleaned it up. But, right, what we do oftentimes is we speak words of blessing. Right? Nian nian you yu, sing nian meng fu, right? Tian tian mi mi, zhen ti jian kang. You wish blessings upon people. Do you really mean those blessings? Or you're just going through the motions. And when you want to bless people, is it just for these 15 days that you bless them? Or do you want to be a, live a life of blessing others? I suggest, you know, our theme for this year is for such a time as this. I suggest to you that God has called us for such a time as this to make a difference wherever God wants us to, to be. I, I realize I forgot to take the transition thing off that slide. And so it's moving forward. The reason we are called for such a time as this is God has placed us uniquely in the um, uh, circles of influence that we are, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Because, you know, for us, certain people in those areas, we are probably one of the few Christians they actually know. We may be the only representation of Christ that they actually truly have a relationship with. 
And I'd like us in this year of 2023, as we move into the year, to seek to bless others. And I use this, uh, it, it's, it's come from the States, but I think it's, it's powerful. It's out of a movement uh, called Pray for All, where there's a desire to pray for everyone on earth by name. And it starts with every Christian making a commitment to pray for at least five people. Right? Five people that they know who especially have not yet named the name of Christ or haven't come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, and find three, ti- uh, three to you know, uh, interact with and finally, hopefully, lead one person to Christ. And then when the person comes to Christ, replace that name with another name. <laughs> you know, and in that way, uh, we can cover the globe in that sense. But uh, the strategy they use is the... the, the uh, Acronym BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. And it stands for these five things we can do. Not difficult. It's not rocket science. I promise you, you don't need to go to seminary to learn to do these five things. First, you begin with prayer. And you pray to God, not only you know, uh, for the people that you want to reach out to, but you also ask Him to give you the power and strength to be authentic in your relationships with the people around you. And you lift them up to God in prayer. Now, if the, it, it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal spiritual truth. You know, evangelism, first and last, is a work of the Spirit. It's the work of God. Yes, He works through us, but ultimately it is He who brings about the result. And all we are doing is being obedient to what He calls us to. So we begin with prayer. But next, all we are asked to do is to Listen. Now, sometimes, you know, in our eagerness to be evangelistic, we non-stop, we talk, talk, talk. We don't actually listen to people. And what it's saying is, don't, don't worry about getting your point across. Take time to listen to them. But also, not just listen to them, listen to God. What is God saying to you about them? What is He dropping into your heart for them? But also listen to yourself. Why? Because, you know, it's important that we listen to ourselves because so many times when we relate to others, there are certain assumptions that run through our mind that sometimes block our ability to listen. Uh, I know this because I teach uh, marriage prep. We're starting our marriage prep class and when we talk about communication, so oftentimes, you know, the, the, we have to teach active listening because we don't naturally listen well. We only hear what we want to hear as opposed to hear what the other person's actually saying. But I won't get into that here and now. That's not, this is not the place for it. But we need to listen to them. And this is the part I, I like. You know. So I'm, as your pastor, I'm giving you permission. If in 2023 you gain weight because you practice bless, you, know, you are blessed. Okay, <laughs> Eat with them. Why? Because there's something disarming about having a meal with a person. I, you know, people will turn down all kinds of appointments, but I say, hey, I dare you go and eat you know, best uh, chicken rice down the road down here. Want to go or not? No one ever turns me down. <laughs> right? Find an opportunity to share a meal with them. If, if needed, once a week or once a month or you know, with some regularity, meet up with them and share a meal or even a cup of coffee if you are worried about your <laughs> diet or tea or whatever it may be. But uh, nonetheless, spend time with them and just getting and building an authentic relationship. And you know, in the midst of that listening and having a relationship with them, there will be an opportunity for you to serve them. To meet the need that they have that only you can uh, uh, serve. It needn't be anything very big. 
Maybe something small like, oh, they're going away, you need someone to house sit their dog, <laughs> take care of the dog while they're away. Oh, okay, I don't mind, you know, I'll serve you in that way. And that is a way in which we are meeting practical needs. That's a way in which you build an authentic relationship. And you know what? The last S in bless is important, but you know, if we haven't done the first four things, it makes it very difficult. The crucial part is to share our story. You don't have to go into a big uh, theological argument or discussion. Just share what has God done in your life. And what is the story of how you came to faith in Christ? And what made that difference for you? That you don't have to be an expert in apologetics or anything else to be able to share your story with them. Does this sound uh, doable? Yes? To bless, to begin with prayer, to listen, to eat, to serve, and ultimately to share your story? Of course it is. But let me conclude with this thought. It's all well and good to say, let's do these things. But what's our motivation? And this is where we get back to the heart of the gospel, keeping it simple in the simple message. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, speaking to Timothy, the young pastor. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. He reiterated, and you know, if you've listened to my messages all time and time again, I always come back to this <laughs> main thing, which is the message of the gospel. That the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth to save us as sinners, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, undeserving people who are enemies of God, tells us two important things. The first is this, that we are more sinful than we could ever have imagined. That our sin condition was so bad, it took such an extreme measure for God to give himself for us. And that's why, you know, in our Anglican services, we do confession every week. It's not because we want to just do it by rote, but it's to remind ourselves who we truly are. And, you know, when we understand the gospel, it moves us to humility. I cannot sit in judgment of anyone because of their failings, because of their shortcomings, because they've blown it in any way, shape or form. Because unless for God's grace being at work in my life, I could easily end up in the same position that they are. And it gives us the patience to walk with sinners because we are fellow sinners. But the second part of the gospel that's important for us to remember and learn is that we are more loved than our wildest dreams could ever have dreamt up. That God didn't wait for us. He came to us and He found us and He saved us and He opened His arms outstretched and said, I love you this much. And Paul says in the second letter to the Corinthians, it's the love of God that constrains us, that compels us to want to bring this message to others, not in an obnoxious, you know, salesmanish sort of way, 
Not because I've got some quota to fulfill. You don't have a quota to fulfill, okay? I'm not saying I'll rescind your membership if you don't bring one person to Christ in the year 2023. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is if you have experienced the love of God, God's made a difference in your life. How can you not share, right? Good things must share. And that's all, you know, I, I, I believe... Uh, it means for us to see this year as a year in which God has called us for such a time as this. Let's see if we can make a difference in the places which God has placed us. And we exercise uh, ourselves in this way. Keep it simple. <laughs> There's no need to overcomplicate matters. Just be who you are, who God has called you to be, where He has called you to be. Because He has done it all for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank You once again for Your Word. Because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that it shines light into the deepest recesses of our hearts. It challenges us in the ways we ought to live. But it also comforts and consoles us if we haven't lived up to the standards you have placed before us. And Lord, especially this morning as we come to your table and we remember your great love for us, that even while we were at enmity with you, we were far away from you, you drew near to us and you called us and you welcomed us, and you cleaned us up, and you brought us into your family. Father, I pray that as our hearts are filled with gratitude for this great gift that we have received, I pray, Lord, that we will in turn become channels of this gift to others. That in this year of 2023, in this new year, we will find opportunities to be a witness for you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us afresh, Lord, with you. Fill us afresh, Lord, so that we can live for such a time as this. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen.